Welcome to the Royal Health Voice, Episode 64, Stanton Pride. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Why is it important for rural health care providers to consider the specific needs of their LGBTQ patients? On to win, join me to discuss the important work of Stanton Pride and the needs for inclusivity. Welcome on to. Hi, Beth. I'm uh, excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, we appreciate you having here. And you are part of Stanton Pride. And in fact, I think you are the executive director of Stanton Pride this year. Um, so Stanton Pride is officially actually kind of an umbrella program within the Shenandoah LGBTQ Center. So I am, uh, while it would be nice to, to call myself that, I am not executive director. I am just director of, um, of this year's Pride. Ah, and this year's Pride is coming up October 2nd. It is. Why October? Why October? So we, I gathered our leadership uh, team, gosh, at the end of last year, um, and we got together thinking, okay, what is what is 2021 going to look like? And at that point, we weren't entirely sure, and but we knew it was really sort of important for us to re-engage our community and to... to provide a diversity of programming and calendar events and things for our our community to get together and so we knew that we could do that in any number of ways so small virtual events um, and then when we were able to to have some small-scale in-person events and um, to sort of build momentum and to get out there and say hey you know we're here and we are committed to our community and doing this this event and we knew that would kind of give us time to plan event in the fall which is i think in for virginia a perfect time i love october so this is it just happened to work out really well and you know whether june or october or any other time of the year why do you feel events like this one are important oh gosh so this is particularly important in the context of of where we are in a rural area there aren't a lot of opportunities for the queer community to get together and there are even fewer dedicated queer spaces and pride is one of those lasting things that is very familiar for anyone in the queer community whether or not they are in a small town or in a big city and so you know when given the opportunity to do that here in Stanton it's it's so important I think for visibility and for community um, gathering but also you know prides serve as an opportunity for the community get together and find resources. So there's lots of vendors at these events where you can um, um, get information and necessary resources and um, uh, STI testing um, that folks wouldn't otherwise have have access to or be familiar with. And and it's such an affirming place. So it's and it's all around just a good time. So it's it's a win win. I think all the way around. <laughs> sure. But, you know, sometimes I see comments on social media from people who are, quote, tired of the gay agenda, mm. or they say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm fine with gay people as long as they don't shove it in my face. <laughs> um, and with, with, with those comments in mind, I found it interesting that Stanton Pride website has a page dedicated to hashtag take up space. Why do LGBTQ people need to take up space? Oh my goodness. So thank you for asking that question. That has been such a central theme in our planning this year. And it is in the context of, of what our queer community is like here in, in rural, kind of rural Virginia. And, you know, 
I remember moving here, oh gosh, it must have been five years now, and I had lived in major cities. I'm born and raised in Virginia, but I had lived in Richmond and Northern Virginia, close to D.C., so I've always had a lot of visible um, queer community to, to engage with, to find, to, to um, just, it's so important for me, for my mental health. And so moving to Stanton, it was, it was difficult. There's, there is such a progress, progressive streak that runs through Stanton, but finding visible community to, to make connections with was difficult. And so, and that is a theme I think that is echoed in lots of folks that I meet. And so we knew this year that we wanted to have that be central to our theme of we're here, we want to let other folks know that we're here and taking up space can mean lots of things. It can mean physical spaces um, like Pride, um, like the center, um, but it can also mean taking up space for our identities kind of in our own sort of lives and that can be using our voices and telling our stories which is kind of related to the storytelling workshop series that we're doing in the events um, and so it just felt like a really good theme to lean into this year and it's been a tough year I think for the queer community we're coming out of a, a, a you know a tough Trump uh, administration where and there's also lots of local policies and really hateful um, rhetoric kind of circulating around the idea of, of our existence and so it was it just felt really important to lean into that theme this year. And a while ago we interviewed Sabrina Burris of the Arrow Project and she told us a little bit about the storytelling workshops but I'd like to hear from your perspective. What are the workshops all about? Oh yes, thank you for asking. So it's um, we spoke a little bit before um, about us listening to podcasts. So for me personally, I've I love storytelling podcasts. So I listen. Um, I'm an avid listener of uh, the Moth Radio Hour and other sort of storytelling um, uh, podcasts like This American Life. And so I've been listening to these podcasts for for years now, and they've always really drawn me in as as a as a great way to learn more about how people navigate the world and and it's such an approachable accessible way to do that um, and so again we got together um, our leadership team and we knew it was one of those things that we just thought would be really unique in this area um, you know telling stories in the context of of what it's like to live here in a rural area is is interesting and uh, we wanted to provide a platform to be able to to empower our community to want to tell those stories and so we wanted to do a live event, but kind of leading into that, we thought, well, you know, this is a great opportunity for our community to kind of learn these skills um, because it is, you know, it's not intuitive, I think. I think often we'll sit around a dinner table and tell stories, but to to be able to, I think, connect on um, on a different level with other audiences and um, to really craft your story in a way that's really impactful isn't always intuitive. And and so Sabrina jumped at the chance to be able to kind of put together this curriculum that um, identifies kind of the what makes a really great story, what makes it compelling, and what is your own voice in that, and how do you want to tell your story? And so that it just sort of... Um, snowballed from there and so we've been really excited by the community response and we did our first sort of series uh, workshop plus live event and that concluded in June and our next um, sort of installment will start August 15th um, and we'll go um, August into September and then our live community event will be sometime sometime in the fall we haven't quite landed on a date yet. 
With the research that the Virginia Rural Health Association has been doing in this area, one of the things that we learned that I thought was particularly shocking was that people who identify as LGBTQ are 60% more likely to suffer from mental health problems. And with that, increased substance use disorders, increased suicide attempts. And I know that some people would point to those statistics and call that proof that being LGBTQ is a mental illness. What would your response to that be? Oh, gosh. So my response to that would be, you know, that there's such a lack of, of, of affirmation of our identities. And so, so often we as queer folks have to just justify our existence and our identities. And, and, and often, I talk about this a lot with just, you know, our community in that we're often in survival mode where we're trying to get basic needs met, um, you know, access to health care, you know, affirming um, infirming environments, work environments, safe housing, um, and that all plays into just so much of our existence. And, but I, I think if you uh, sit down and have a conversation with with anyone in the queer community, we want the same things out of life as anyone else. We want to to live a good life and to find love and to 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 navigate in a way that we're able to live our most authentic lives and there's such a humanness and there's such a streak of resilience that I I see in so many other queer folks that I I, I can't I reject that that sentiment that this is a mental illness it's and that there that it's that is justification for the for the justification for how we're, we navigate the world and the and, and the inequities that exist um, for our community, it's 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 no it's no justification in in my, in my sense. Thank you. Now earlier you mentioned the Shenandoah LGBTQ Center. What's the affiliation between Stanton Pride and the center? Oh gosh! So if you look back, so Stanton Pride's first year, its founding was 2018, and it was founded by um, an individual, uh, Christopher Wood, who um, is has lived in in this area for quite some time and saw a very saw very much a need for again visible community um, and really a um, a central location. Um, and sort of a clearinghouse for and a, a point of connection, I'll say, um, for the queer community. And so was able to kind of put together, throw together this Stanton, first uh, Stanton Pride Festival and to see that community response um, really used that sort of momentum in, in founding um, the Shenandoah LGBTQ Center. So they were founded right around the same time. And I, it's funny because I... I saw that Stanton Pride was happening. I had been living in the area for a few years and I signed up without hesitation as just as a volunteer. And so I was, I just showed up as a volunteer and then somehow got connected to all of these wonderful people and um, saw the passion that uh, these, these founders really put into this community. And I was asked to be a founding member for a founding board member at the center. And so all of that momentum just kind of happened. And it just, if it's such a blur now when I think back to, <laughs> uh, to it, but that is sort of kind of the structure of, of how everything happened. And so the center has now, oh gosh, been around for quite a few, you know, for a few years now and is doing quite well and is growing its services and its outreach. And, um, and so we're, 
trying to make sure that this is a sustainable um, thing and that is it'll be very much a pillar, I think, in our community. Excellent. I was looking at the center's website and they have a directory of LGBTQ medical professionals and services. And the number of professionals listed for Stanton is one. Yes. What, what do you suppose that is? It's, <laughs> oh gosh, you could probably speak to that more than, <laughs> more than I could. Um, I, it's, it's difficult to, to build out these networks and to, um, I, we might have spoken about this earlier, but it's um, so often, even when I was living in major cities in Richmond and in D.C., um, a lot of, of how I find affirming uh, providers um, uh, is through word of mouth. It's texting my network of folks saying, you know, who is a, who is a safe person to go to? And that is just so much a part of our experience as, as navigating any type of system where it's if you're finding legal resources or housing or healthcare, um, it's done through word of mouth because it is, it's it's almost a vetting process that's necessary and that uh, I know, especially for the center, um, it's important that the resources that the center provides to the community is that they are vetted and that they are safe and that they are true, I think, allies in that community. And so it's, uh, if there are more, you know, providers that want to be a part of the list, we certainly welcome that. That's for sure. It's, it's, um, there are lots of reasons I think why folks might hesitate um, to be an outward ally. And so we're trying to, to do our best to, to, to encourage providers to sign up. Well, and I see from uh, your website that you're looking for vendors and sponsors for the Pride event. Would it make sense for a healthcare provider to have a booth? Absolutely, absolutely, and we've had um, in in previous events we've had um, um, healthcare providers come out and um, even sponsor as well. It's it is the best way to reach a very large um, um, population, a very targeted population, and so we welcome uh, you know we certainly welcome folks to to come out and and to meet the community and to also discuss their their direct needs and to to have those kind types of conversations um, in a, a more casual setting, I think, is, is benefits everyone involved. Absolutely. Now, I'm sure some of our listeners are wondering why we're having an LGBTQ advocacy group on a rural health podcast. What, why do you think groups such as the Virginia Rural Health Association should be concerned about health equity for the LGBTQ population? So, so much of of how the, the uh, so much of the queer experience is intersectional, and there are kind of and I always think of place as one of you know we think of race and we think of class and we think of gender as 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 part of the determinants of of that, but place is in 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 the context of the queer experience is very much relevant and and it it is it's. Um, it's documented that um, there is there is a lack of affirming healthcare in this area, and um, so building out these community partnerships and these conversations is very much a part of of addressing the needs of our community here. It's 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 life saving and it's vital and it's um, it is very much a necessary conversation. So I appreciate that I have the opportunity to 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 speak to you about um, about pride and, and the work that we're doing. Now, VRHA recently launched our Pride of Rural Virginia initiative, and one of our activities will, 
be providing training to healthcare providers who want to do a better job with their LGBTQ patients and make sure that their hospitals and clinics are safe and affirming spaces. What's something you think VRHA needs to consider as we develop the training? Are you think there's particular things that the hospitals or clinics need to know about or need to do? Oh, gosh, it would be just um, gathering a diversity of voices. Um, I think so often um, we see almost a stereotype as to the folks that live in rural rural um, Virginia. And uh, I, I just seeing the work that I do in the community that I, there's a rejection of that. And so I think informing the work and informing the training by as, as, as diverse voice as possible. Um, again, that idea of intersectionality that, you know, there are often intersecting identities that do have very real health consequences um, in, in, in the health of our community. And so addressing, the, addressing those, those issues from as many different viewpoints, I think is, 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 is vital. And last question, the question I ask all my guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? Oh, gosh, I feel um, woefully underqualified to answer that question. <laughs> it's but, a big question. <laughs> but I, I, before I answer that, and I will answer it, um, before I answer that, I want to say why I love this question. It's because I think by human nature, we're just, uh, especially a layman like me, it, it's, it's so easy to point out, I think, shortcomings in, in a particular system. Um, but to answer that question from like a very generative place, like if you had the opportunity, um, what would you do different? That I, I love that question. So thank you. Um, I will do my very best. To <laughs> um, so money, isn't, isn't that the answer to everything? <laughs> funding, funding for the work that you're doing, again, just kind of in the vein of storytelling, really broadening the representation of, of the community here. And what I'll say is sort of kind of similar to, to the last um, question in that centering, I think, as it pertains to the queer community, centering those most harmed by inequities and disparities. Um, so in the context of the queer community, so trans individuals, gender nonconforming um, individuals, they, I think, centering their lived experiences as a means of, of advocating and of um, implementing change, I think can be really transformative. And, you know, speaking from my personal experience, a lot of, of how healthcare um, is is centered around this idea of heteronormativity and you know i i come into a, a doctor's office and uh i am you can't see me but i am <laughs> I, I i most folks assume that i am straight and in, in, in a heterosexual relationship and so when it comes to answering questions about sexual health it, you know the, it, it becomes problematic um and i've had to answer questions multiple times <laughs> um but um kind of rejecting the idea of assuming heteronormativity doesn't harm anyone, but it does benefit those most harmed by the by these inequities and these disparities and and go so far in in providing a really affirming environment um, for folks, particularly trans and non-binary folks to to get the health care, um, the affirming health care that they they need. 
Um, and so that would be my answer to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, something comes to mind w with that is, you know, when, when Virginia Rural Health Association first started digging into this and I, and I was trying to, to wrap my brain around the problem, um, I, I discovered um, the Movement Advancement Project, um, which is a group that's really pushing back on the narrative that, you know, gay people only live in cities and if you're born in rural, mm -hmm. you get out as fast as, can, as you can. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're really looking into, no, there is a decent number of people in our rural communities who identify as LGBTQ. And then they were talking about, you know, s some of the, the healthcare inequities that happens um, w with that population. And a story that came out through that, that, uh, that I, I actually wrote an entire grant proposal just on this story was that a woman went to see the doctor and the doctor's asking her just basic questions. You know, so are you sexually active? Yes. Uh. Are you on birth control? No. Are you trying to get pregnant? No. <laughs> but you're sexually active? Yes. Are you trying to get pregnant? No. Are you on birth control? No. And the conversation went round and round and round and round in a circle. And finally, the patient had to say, look, my spouse is another woman. Mm -hmm. You know, because the, the doctor was treating her like she was an idiot. Yeah. And, and how hard is it to shortcut that conversation? Um, if, if nothing else, just having some basic information in their chart. Yep, absolutely. How, how, how easy and cost-effective and time-saving would it be to provide that basic information? That's exactly the, the, my lived experience. And that was the experience I was referring to oh. is that I had to, that, <laughs> that just that exact situation. <laughs> um, and so I love that that was written into your grant proposal um, because it is, you're right. It is, it's a much more efficient way and an affirming way, but, you know, speaking from someone who has, 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 has that lived experience, you know, in that conversation, I'm thinking to myself, is this a safe space for me to come out? Is, you know, what are the consequences of that? Do I feel safe? And so that is a constant narrative that um, I often have, and I know lots of folks have in our community when they're going into any doctor's office. Um, and eliminating that would, it, it seems uh, s small and simple, but it, it, it's so impactful to the feeling that I feel coming out of that doctor's office. So I, I, I again, I appreciate uh, you, you bringing that up. See, you didn't even know you were indirect, indirectly in our grant proposal. Although I'm, <laughs> I'm sure this was somebody else, but you know, you never know. Um, it might have been. <laughs> you never know. All right. Well, thank you, Auntie. We so much appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Beth. I this was a lot of fun. Thank you. That's on to win discussing the need to address disparities in rural health. Stanton Pride will be held October 2nd. Check the show notes for a link to event details. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, join the Virginia Rural Health Association for our annual Rural Health Voice Conference. Our 2021 event will be virtual with plenary speakers and interactive discussions throughout November. We'll be leading up to National Rural Health Day on November 18th. Visit vrha.org and click the events tab to find details and registration for the Rural Health Voice Conference. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.